All Indiana Politics is your premier source for Indiana politics. Focusing on issues that matter to you. I still want us to be the best in the Midwest. We can't afford another lockdown. Give the citizens of this country the relief they need. Education in the state of Indiana remains priority number one. In-depth, nonpartisan coverage. We don't know exactly where the economy will be in January. People are worried with good reason. Exclusive interviews with Indiana's political leaders. We have the resources here in the state of Indiana to care for those who are in need. Expert analysis on critical legislation. We need to reform those laws. This recovery is going to take some time. We've got to anticipate that there'll be a budget shortfall. From Wish TV, this is All Indiana Politics Podcast on the All Indiana Podcast Network. Good Sunday morning. Welcome to another edition of All Indiana Politics. The leading candidate for governor says it's time to get rid of Indiana's income tax. Suzanne Crouch's comments come as state lawmakers investigate doing just that. She talked to our government reporter, Garrett Berquist. Let's bring in gubernatorial candidate Suzanne Kraft. Suzanne, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Garrett. It's good to be with you. So you've called for eliminating Indiana's income tax, and this comes right as state lawmakers are beginning to look into doing just that. How would you replace the lost revenue? Do you know what is most important to me is the what and the why. The how we will figure out. And certainly I am in tune with what the Indiana General Assembly is undertaking, being a former state rep and president of the Senate. But the what and the why is because I travel the state, you know, I've been to all 92 counties many times over, and I meet with Hoosiers, everyday Hoosiers, hardworking Hoosiers, in their homes, at their places of business, at groundbreakings, at ribbon cuttings. And what I hear from Hoosiers is that they are being crushed by the high inflation and the cost of living and the binomics and they need help. They're struggling to make ends meet with rising gas prices and rising grocery prices and everywhere they look everything is going up. And so I am proposing that as governor my priority will be to eliminate Indiana's income tax. It's time to put money back into Hoosiers pockets and I trust that Hoosiers know how to spend their money better than government knows how to spend it. And when we put money back into their pockets, they're going to be ending up supporting the economy. And that, in turn, will grow revenues and help us support small businesses and attract other businesses here to Indiana. And actually, it'll be a boost to our economy. We can continue as we're doing, and we're doing well, trust me. But if we want to not just compete, if we want to lead as a state, we need to be giving more money back to Hoosiers and make Indiana more competitive with other states. During the hearings on the tax code earlier in the week, uh, some of the people who testified brought up that the states that don't have income taxes, in a lot of cases, for example, Texas gets a lot of revenue from oil and gas reserves, and Florida, of course, gets a lot of tourism money, and those are options that Indiana doesn't necessarily have. So how would Indiana be able to work with that? How is Indiana different from those states? Indiana is full of hardworking Hoosiers, and when we give more money back to Hoosiers, they're going to spend their money wisely, and they're going to put it into the economy. And what we will do by eliminating the income tax is not only be giving Hoosiers back more money, but we'll be able to grow small businesses here in Indiana. We'll be able to attract other businesses to Indiana because the states that are ahead of us are the ones that have no income tax or no sales tax. And so we have to be competitive. And so I trust that Hoosiers are the ones that are going to be making the difference. And the people that are 
a lot of times the people that are the biggest critics and the ones that are screaming bloody murder that we can't do this are the ones that are interested in the status quo. They're interested in Indiana staying as it is. I'm interested in Indiana boldly moving forward and getting money back to Hoosiers, but leading other states, not just competing with them, but leading them. Is there a risk here, though, that if we eliminate the income tax, we end up relying more heavily on sales tax, which disproportionately impacts lower-income Hoosiers? Well, what we're going to do with my the tax plan is we're not only going to eliminate Indiana's income tax, but we're going to look at establishing a commission similar to the Kernan Shepherd Commission. And that commission, if you remember back in the early 2000s, looked at reforming local government to save money and to have it be more efficient. We're going to do that at the state level. And we're going to look at state government and how we can streamline and reduce the size of government, how we can limit the growth of government, and then how we will find efficiencies within government and in turn grow the economy. And so I am not worried as much about the how, I'm more worried about the why and the who and the what. Changing gears a little bit, you've called for establishing a universal pre-K program in Indiana. How would that look? You know, it's interesting. Uh, I'm a big proponent of early childhood education. And when I became a state representative, my daughter was way beyond that age of having to deal with child care or early childhood education. And so that issue wasn't topmost of mine. But business leaders from my hometown of Evansville are the ones that approached me, and they were very heavily invested in early childhood education. And they educated me on the importance of early childhood education in terms of preparing and getting our workforce today prepared, but then preparing our workforce for tomorrow. And they made a believer out of me, and I actually co-authored the first bill that actually established Indiana's early childhood education pilot program. We need to move beyond a pilot, and we need to work towards getting every child an opportunity to be able to learn so that by third grade they can read and then they can be successful later in life. And so what I would look as we move forward is to be partnering more with our private sector be looking at the private sector to be able to come alongside what we want to do in state government and work together to be able to do those kinds of programs that look at moving Indiana forward and preparing our workforce for tomorrow. So in your proposal, would the pre-K programs be run more through employers, private schools as opposed to public schools? How would that work? It would be all the above. I think we would look at all the above. Speaking of pre-K, should Indiana consider lowering the age at which children must attend school from 7 to 6 or 5? I would not be in favor of mandatory attendance. We don't have mandatory kindergarten. I believe parents should be able to make those decisions for their children. But I certainly think we need to look at how we can get more younger children into school earlier. And that is what early childhood education is all about. Being able to prepare our children for lives of success. Because if you can't read by the third grade, you're going to struggle through school and you're going to struggle through life. And so getting our child, children prepared for that uh, is an important part of creating a cradle-to-career education system. All right, coming up, our coverage of the 2023 election continues with another candidate running for mayor. Every business is unique and has a target audience. 
If you own or manage a business, Circulus Digital Media can help you connect and grow your customer base with turnkey digital solutions that are nimble, offering best-in-class results, service, and support to reach a bigger customer base, allowing you to pinpoint a specific audience down to the smallest details. Get outside the city, the state, span the globe. Put Circulus Digital Media to work for you. Get started now at CirculusDigital.com. That's CirculusDigital.com. Welcome back. Even amid all of the 2024 talk, we have another election coming up this November. We're talking to the candidates who want to be the mayor of your town. Our government reporter, Garrett Berkwist, recently sat down with Jim Kaufman. Kaufman is the Democratic candidate for the mayor of Beach Grove. Let's bring in Jim Kaufman. Jim, thanks for dropping by today. Thank you, Garrett. Why are you running for mayor of Beach Grove? So currently I'm running for uh, mayor for the city of Beach Grove. I own a small business in Beach Grove. I became active in the community about 12 years ago. My family purchased X9 Shoestone on Main Street. Fast forward to 2023, we we're celebrating our 100th year anniversary in business. Having a small business, I became active in the community. I started volunteering with the chamber, other organizations. We started a Main Street organization called Next Stop Beach Grove. I became, became active that way. Outside of that, I decided that there's other ways that I could serve our community. I ran for clerk treasurer and became, took office in 2020. So I currently serve as the elected clerk treasurer for the city of Beach Grove. There are a lot of projects and things down the pipe that I want to see come to fruition. Um, projects in the city, there's a lot of positive changes that have happened over the last several years. I want to use that ability as mayor to affect change in the community. And I think with my experience as a small business owner, a volunteer, and the current elected clerk treasurer, I'm excited for its future. And I want to do everything that I can as mayor. I built a wonderful team around me that will help serve me serve the city uh, for the next four years. You've made public safety a fairly significant part of your platform as well. What do you believe is Beach Grove's biggest public safety challenge and how do you plan to address it? Yes, public safety is, is a, a big concern for the city of Beach Grove. We have invested heavily in our public safety department over the last three years. We built a new police station. We're in the process of building a state-of-the-art training facility. In order to fight crime, we have to provide the best equipment, the best services, the best facilities for our employees. We have to provide competitive pay. Over the last three years, as clerk treasurer, we've worked on budgets that are focused on competitive pay to get the best qualified candidates to, to come to the city of Beach Grove to be hired as police officers. We are fully staffed as a police department. So focusing on public safety, that will help fight crime and keep crime out. We are completely surrounded by the city of Minneapolis, so we've got to hold our own. I think we're doing well as a department. Our, our police station and our police department is second to none, and we've got to continue to fund them and continue to provide whatever they need to fight crime each and every day. Beach Grove police say shootings at bars are a growing problem. We just had a double shooting at a bar at the beginning of August. How do you plan to tackle that problem specifically? So currently, I won't speak a whole lot to that specific thing since I'm not the mayor right now. Um, the mayor would be happy to talk about that. But when those things happen, I think as a small business owner, we've got to start with the place of freedom I don't want to hinder innovation for small business owners. However, that being said, as mayor, the number one task is to protect the citizens of Beach Grove. So if incidents like that happen, we've got to come together with the business owners, the police department to figure out what we can do to prevent that from happening, come up with recommendations, and work with those business owners and the police department to figure out what we can do to make sure that doesn't happen. Because at the end of the day, we've got to protect our citizens and we've got to protect the people that come to the city each and every day. And 
by having everybody come to the table for an open line of communication, I think that's where some of that change might start. How do you plan to stabilize home ownership in Beech Grove? I think the rental levels will go down over the next few years. We have invested millions of dollars in trails, services, our, our police station, EMS, our senior citizen center, our community center, our parks, all of those are second to none, and I think it's drawing people in. Our Main Street is now a destination. We've seen, like I said, more people coming to the city of Beach Grove to move and to buy homes there. By improving that quality of life and just the small thing as having the best DPW in the world, having great trash pickup, all of those services are going to encourage people to come to, city, to the city of Beach Grove just because they get more for their buck there and they get those services that aren't uh, offered out there places. Beach Grove is home to Amtrak's primary maintenance facility. How do you not only maintain that relationship, but expand it for the next generation of workers? So they are one of the top employers for the city of Beach Grove, absolutely. Beach Grove is a railroad town, and that's where it started back in 1906. We've got to continue to have that open-minded communication. There's some property back there that will hopefully be developed. The city is 100% landlocked, and there's not a whole lot of place for development. There's about 70 acres of CSX property back there that is currently being cleaned up and will one day hopefully develop into a manufacturing facility, um, distribution facility. Working with the Amtrak and having that tie into the road I think will be huge for the city of Beach Grove and that's going to bring in a lot more revenue. But working with business owners like that, having Main Street a destination, encouraging Amtrak to keep that facility staffed. We've met with them several times over the last few years just to have an open line of communication. So if there's changes that happen over there, we already have that line of communication open and we'd be happy to hear any, any suggestions, concerns, or questions that they might have in the next few years. What makes you the best person in this race for the job? Being active in the community. I, I love the city of Beach Grove. I love everything about it. I was born and raised here. I own a small business here. I volunteer. Being the current elected clerk treasurer, I've had a front row seat to the inner workings of local government. I understand finance. I understand what's coming down the pipe. I understand the projects that are happening. I want to see all those projects come to fruition. There's more to be done. We've got to in in improve the walkability in our city. We've got to improve the sidewalks. We've got to improve safety. We've got to continue to fund those projects. I built a team of people around me. Um, for the mayor, for Kaufman for mayor team, that includes people with expertise in social work, medical field, engineering, urban, urban development, government, small business, and the arts. Together, we have a unified vision for the future of Beach Grove, and I've never been more excited to see that. We are a public safety city that is primed for redevelopment. Coming up, Indiana's best political team analyzes the first Republican primary debate and more. Welcome back to All Indiana Politics as we welcome in two members of Indiana's best political team, Democrat Laura Beck and Republican Mario Mastolmani. Good to see you both. Let's begin with Wednesday's debate. Mario, you were at the debate. Uh, we saw more fights between Mike Pence and Vivek Ramaswamy than really than anyone else. Uh, does Pence's performance break him out from the field, in your opinion? 
I don't think so. Uh, from the audience that was at the debate, there were a lot of boos for uh, Mike Pence, right, wrong, or indifferent. Uh, I think the two people or three people that came out of the debate looking really well was uh, Ron DeSantis. Uh, we were expecting him to get attacked from everyone. He didn't. Vivek Ramaswamy was actually the one that got attacked, but that allowed him also an opportunity to speak longer. And so uh, by able to be able to express his views, and I think Nikki Haley uh, shocked a lot of people. I think people were not expecting her to do well. And I got a lot of comments from people in the audience saying, we were shocked and surprised at how well Nikki Haley seemed like the adult in the room and talked about policy along with Ron DeSantis, uh, and they were a little surprised at how well she performed. Yeah, I, I would agree with those three. Uh, Laura, circling mm -hmm. back to uh, Pence, though, you're the communications expert here. Uh, did he maybe set himself up as kind of the adult in the room, or was maybe he a little bit too combative? I, I think he was probably um, too combative. I think the adult in the room award definitely goes to Nikki Haley, um, and deservedly so for her performance in the debate. I think, you know, Mike Pence's biggest issue here is that he is, is good at getting, he was probably good at getting a few practice zingers in, right? Everybody's got their one-liners that they're going to use for applause. Um, but he's a known commodity. And the challenge with being a known commodity in front of a MAGA uh, crowd like that, and in, also in front of a crowded primary, is is he's just not breaking through. And so you really have to wonder, what is he running for? Because he's not really running for the number two spot because no one would pick him to be number two, and I don't think he wants to be. Um, I mean, part of me thinks this is to, to sell his book and to also try and position him for something else because he's also not popular in Indiana. So I... I, I think for him, I think he's hit the end of the road and doesn't really want to admit it yet um, because the Republican donor class, even the mega donor class like uh, Rupert Murdoch, yeah. I mean, they're trying to recruit Glenn Youngkin from Virginia to get into the race. So he's not even really an option for, for, for some of these folks. So I don't see this ending well for him at this point in time. And a surprising moment, guys, was when Pence briefly raised his hand when moderators asked the candidates if they would support Donald Trump if he wins the nomination. I don't have to tell you, but, you know, we were, you know, Talk, talked about for a while that, that he had said that if, if Trump was convicted, that he wouldn't do that. So does that kind of undercut his argument, Laura? I think he's going to do and say anything he possibly can to get elected. So this does not surprise me at all. And I think, again, that's one of the reasons why he does not resonate, because he, he does he, he sort of just puts his finger out to see which way the wind blows, and he goes with that. Mario, were you surprised by that? You know, I, I think that uh, this is Pence's opportunity, from what I'm uh, hearing from other people, to show not just the Republican base but the country that what he did on January 6th was the right uh, thing to do. And I think that everyone understands that and believes that it was. But even on stage when he was asked that question or when they asked DeSantis and others that question, he wanted them to answer that, that what he did – uh, by uh, certifying that election that that was uh, constitutional and that was uh, the appropriate uh, response and action for him to do. And I think that might be a lot of why he's running, is to make sure that history remembers him as being somebody that stood up for the Constitution and stood up for, uh, amongst immense pressure, for what was uh, the right decision. And I believe that's really why he's running. He's pulling at what? In this last Iowa poll, straw poll, yeah. uh, 27%. Mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, he's not getting any traction. I don't think that he's going to get any bump from uh, going after Vivek. I think actually Vivek's going to get a bigger bump uh, from that than anything else. And so I think that he is trying to place himself in history as somebody that uh, was almost like, uh, you know, stood uh, against immense pressure and made sure that the country still followed and did what our Constitution meant. Guys, I have a minute left. I want to get your thoughts quickly, and we could go all all half an hour long on that debate, on, on your thoughts on the income tax situation here in the state. Uh, I have 30 seconds, so quickly, please, Laura. Um, I think, especially with, with Suzanne Crouch and the lieutenant governor's plan, I mean, it just doesn't have any, there are no details with it. And, and I think this is more about um, her place in the in the crowded gubernatorial field. She has not had much attention. She's not raising money. She's got some grassroots yeah. support. So I think she's trying to break away and break free. Mario? And that really, to me, was a wasted interview because she could have really laid out some specifics. So the General Assembly is actually looking into this, getting rid of the income tax. Under, uh, you know, Republican leadership since 2004, we have been able to balance the budget. We've had immense surpluses. And I think that uh, this is something that we can actually afford to do. We'll see. Because it's better to have... Hey, guys, I'm out of time. We had a lot to talk about. I'm out of time. We'll see you soon. Thank you. We'll be right back. Thank you. Well, thank you for joining us for All Indiana Politics. We'll be back here next Sunday morning at 9.30. And coming up on Tuesday, catch our complete interview with Indiana's new Secretary of Commerce. He's on a special episode of the All Indiana Politics podcast on wishtv.com. Have a great rest of your weekend. From Wish TV, this is All Indiana Politics Podcast on the All Indiana Podcast Network. Watch All Indiana Politics live Sunday mornings at 9.30 on Wish TV and at wishtv.com. Subscribe to this podcast and listen weekly here on the All Indiana Podcast Network. And be sure to discover even more great podcasts at allindianapodcastnetwork.com. Episode of Turn Left. I am your host, Indiana's own Dana Black, coming to you live. Yes, all the way live from Black Pearl Studios, where we talk about Indiana politics from the left side of things. Y'all, I am not going to lie. I did back-to-back-to-back conferences. And I'm telling you, I was tired. That's the only way to put it. I'm tired. So first up, we had NCSL, which were the state legislators, and it was an Act Blue sponsored event. I had my colleagues come in. They came in from out of town, so I wanted to show them a good time in Indianapolis. But then I remembered they were all under 30. I'm I'm not. <laughs> and they wanted to hang out a little longer on some nights, and I could actually hang. But that was all right. We had a good time. They said they had a good time. So that was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of last week. And then... Thursday, Friday, Saturday was IDEA, kick up your heels, and all the events that happened in French Lick. That was always a good time because whenever you can get together with your fellow Democrats and continue to elevate each other and help each other and, and train each other and, and do all the things that just encourage each other each other in this red state, you know, because it's not easy being the blue dot in a red state or being a Democrat in a red state. And then... Uh, 
after that, this week I ended up hanging out with Nicole at the AIM conference. But I love going to the AIM conference because this is where I get to meet um, some bipartisan folks. Like, like I remember I told y'all, like there are some, there are a couple of Republicans I like. I know, right? It's crazy, but they're usually clerk treasurers, and they're usually women. And and clerk treasurers just want to get the job done. They just want to make sure that their towns and, and communities are well taken care of. And some of the women that are doing the job are some of the smartest women. They just happen to be Republicans because where they live. Now, you know, I can't ever say that I'm going to vote for a Republican because that will never happen. But, I, but I'm learning as I continue to mature that uh, when you're at that local level, sometimes those partisan races aren't as partisan as we would like to think they are. So uh, it's been a long week, and I'm a little tired, but we got great guests tonight, and I'm excited about talking to the two ladies tonight that are on the show. I think you guys will like them. But first, let's talk about what's happening in the news. The Indianapolis Star reports Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch says she wants to eliminate the individual tax uh, income tax by the end of her first term if she's elected governor. It's a familiar refrain among the halls of the state house lately. Senate Republican leaders have said they are interested in doing this eventually in a budget deal they struck speed up income tax cuts down from 2.9 percent by 2027. But Crouch's goal would significantly quicken the pace with the idea of keeping more money in Hoosier's pockets and attracting more workers to live in the state. Still, it's the second largest source of tax revenue for the state, bringing in roughly $7.5 billion to $8 billion each year. These taxes help fund schools, infrastructure, public safety, clean air, experts, because maybe she's not one, Experts say cutting such a revenue source requires either shifting the tax burden elsewhere or cutting cutting government services. Now, see, I mean, I think it's, I think it's wonderful that, that there are people that want to put more tax dollars in my pocket. I'm not mad at that. But you know what I would be really mad at is if we continue to produce another generation of humans who could not read or they didn't have a quality education because we wouldn't fund public education properly or that our infrastructure starts to crumble crumble because we haven't brought in enough revenue. What are you going to do? Make every road in in, in our cities and towns be toll roads? Because if you cut money one one place, you got to get it from someplace else because these things still have to be taken care of. So I'm not sure where they think they're going to get this money from after they cut it out. Don't get me wrong. I, I would love to keep more money, but I also would like to have great infrastructure, great schools, and clean air. How about clean air? WTHR reports, the fight over boosting teacher pay in Indiana continues. The average teacher salary is now ranked 39th in the United States by the National Education Association. While many educators feel the starting pay has improved, there is still one problem. As teachers continue their career, wages become very stagnant very quickly, said Keith Gamble, president of the Indiana State Teachers Association. Gamble said that... That, that can be difficult to attract and retain teachers. According to a 2021-2022 state teacher compensation report by the Education Employment Relations Board, the lowest teacher salary reported was, reported was $35,000. The highest is $105,000, and the average teacher salary is nearly 57000 
Teachers in Wayne Township make the most with an average salary of 67000 The lowest is Frontier School Corporation in White County. During that time, teachers reportedly made just below $39,000. Goodness gracious, what, how can people live on that? Today, according to the Frontier School Corporation Superintendent, teachers now make an average of $43,000. See, guys, again, we're talking about, I, I, I want some more money in my pocket, too. I'm not going to lie. I would love to have more money in my pocket. But the things that I'm paying for with my tax dollars are making sure that I have, I have an educated society. It's to make sure that we are preparing our young people for the future. But you guys are talking about, well, we don't want to have any income tax, but we, we want to raise salaries, but not really. Guys, it's it's already hard enough with you guys passing legislation to limit reproductive care. Our infrastructure is ranked low. The air quality in Indiana is ranked low. And you guys are doing everything you can to make public education very difficult. One of the things that go into the quality of life is whether or not a person can give, give their child a quality education. Have you thought about that, Any? Have you thought about when you're talking about you want to bring people in and retain workers and, and we are the state that works where they're going to send their kids? And you can all, and look, what if, I, I get your voucher program, but what about those that can't make up the gap between the tuition of the private school or the charter school and the, how much you're giving them on the voucher? What happens to those kids when you don't have enough teachers? There's already a huge, huge teacher shortage. Do y'all not understand this? No, maybe not. Or maybe they don't care. Maybe the whole goal is to just drown teachers in debt and make it impossible, impossible to retain quality teachers. But not just that. We want to tack books and, and ban books because, you know, we're smart like that. But finally, Hamilton Southeastern has come to their senses, maybe. Also, WTHR reports, the Hamilton East Public Library and outgoing board president, Laura Alderman, have both received international attention for a policy of reviewing young adult books and moving many to the adult section. Indianapolis author John Green spoke out after his young adult novel, The Fault in Our Stars, was removed from the teen section. The Hamilton East Public Library Board and Trustees Meeting will meet Thursday afternoon to discuss the issue. That was today. They moved it from the evenings to afternoon, so while people are at work and you can't attend. Also to be discussed at the meeting will be the collection of the collection development policy and implementation, which is the process by which young adult books are reviewed and possibly moved to the adult section. The policy states written material containing explicit descriptions of sexual conduct, including masturbation, vaginal, vaginal sex, oral sex, anal sex. If they can put all that on WTHR, it doesn't matter if it's in a book. I'm just saying. Will not be on shelves in the juvenile or youth middle school or high school sections. As of August 17th, the vetting of 11,000 books was was about 37% done. Guys, the board, this is, stop. Stop trying to hide things from kids. And we already, you already passed the law that you're going to criminalize and turn teachers and libraries into felons. All of this to do what? To keep kids from reading the hard copy, and as soon as they see what the banned book is, they go to Amazon and or to the other libraries and rent it on their e-readers? Stop it. Wouldn't you want the kids to be able to ask a librarian who is qualified to educate people about what these books mean and what they stand for and answer any real questions versus them being at home alone because mom's got to work two jobs, right? they got to work two jobs or pop's got to work two jobs to keep a roof over their head because of inflation and a whole bunch of other things. 
they're not they're going to try to discern all this stuff for themselves or go on the internet and watch and have trolls teach these kids you guys got this wrong people go to school for a reason to be librarians and to be teachers they do these things on purpose and the fact that you guys are doing everything you can to make it difficult for kids to learn and see the world and understand what's going on around them because they're going to experience these things anyway I mean, my God, do you ever, did you forget what it was like to be a teenager? Did you come to this planet at 40 years old? Oh, my God. Or were you just so sheltered that you want everyone to live and exist in the same singular view bubble that you were in? Guys, we've got to do better than this. Um, If you can... Uh, run for school board, get elected to your uh, election board, to your your library boards, get involved at every level because we want an educated society that has a wider worldview than some narrow-minded BS that these people in their little bitty world are trying to spew on people. There are too many stories of kids living in Indiana and never wanting to come back. I mean, it's, it's, it's real. They don't, they do not want to come back to Indiana because that's quality of life issues right there. If my kids can't read books or the books and, and oh, one last thing on this rant and I promise I'm gonna leave it alone. How dare you tell me what I, my kids should read? You pick out what you want for your kid or don't want for your kid. But why should you limit my kid and the library is a place that they can go and get free books? Shame on you. Now you're infringing on my parental rights. That's why I don't have no kids, y'all. But if I was a parent, I would be at all those meetings in everybody's business. All right, that's my rant. Uh, I'm sorry I got a little choked up today, but I got some water now. I'm ready to go. And now it's time to hear from our uh, our, our sponsor, and I'm so excited to have her. She's one of the, the best uh, district chairs up in District 3. Her and her husband, Thomas Bohm, they have their business, Bohm's Unique Boutique. Today's show is brought to you by Bohm. Unique Boutique. Click on the QR code. And for all Turn Left listeners, you can get a discount on your order by using the code DEMOCRAT. Be sure to visit www.bomesuniqueboutique.com. All right, all right, Bohm's Unique Boutique. I love them because they're doing everything they can. They they can create all kind of cool stuff for you. Um, you can, you know, if you are looking to have some, um, to incentivize some donations and give away some swag for donating, reach out to them. They're doing good stuff. And then if you need digital content, obviously today is not the perfect day to show my skill set because ain't nothing working. But if you need digital content and you're running a, a, a small budget campaign, reach out to me. I can help you create your video. I can help you create some digital content to get your message out, um, whether it's a 30, 60, or 90 second video, or yeah, second video to put on social media, hit me up, um, scan the QR code, or hit me up at www.blackpearlits.com, and I will share all the goods with you, and we can we can create some digital content. All right. Whew, finally, I'm going to get to my guest, but i got to fix you because that's not going to work. There we go. There we go. I'm excited about having my guests in here today because you know what? As women, we continue to listen to people tell us what we need to be doing with our bodies, how we need to to live and exist in the world, but we but we don't make up enough of the elected officials. And that is somewhat suspect to me and I I find that problematic. So today I've got two amazing women who are running for office. Uh, first up I have Sarah Draper who's running for Carmel City Council at large. Sarah Sarah, welcome to the show. 
Thank you, Dana. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And next we have Blythe Parter, who is running for uh, Bargerstown Council at large. Blythe, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm so glad you guys can make it. I apologize for all the technical difficulties, but you know what? We're going to do an hour show one way or another. Um, and that's the beautiful part is that we can edit and make things beautiful. <laughs> so how are you guys doing? I hope you guys haven't had as rough a week as I've had. <laughs> It's just hot. It's too hot to knock doors, which makes me sad. Ah, uh, and I like the heat, but this is a special kind of heat. But you know what? People act like climate change ain't real. Yeah. <laughs> they act like the climate change is not real. What say y'all on climate change? It's happening. We're all feeling it. We're all feeling, seeing it. It's happening. I got to ask, you know, uh, Sarah, you're up there in Hamilton County. Now, uh, how are you taking, uh, I know this is Hamilton Southeastern, which is over in Fishers. It's not in Carmel, but it is in Hamilton County. How are you feeling about these library boards moving and removing um, books, especially young adult books to help young people um, understand and see themselves in writing? I think it's ridiculous, and I hate what's happening in Fishers. Uh, but it's a lesson to us in Carmel and indeed everywhere else in the state that if you don't pay attention to your local officials, whether they're appointed to boards or elected, these things can happen very quickly. Absolutely. Are you guys seeing anything like that down in um, Bargersville? No, not not right now, but... Um... Who knows what will happen? <laughs> oh, please, let's not give them any ideas. Don't give them any yeah. ideas. All right, Sarah, I'm going to start with you. Tell the people who you are and where you come from. Well, as soon as I open my mouth, you know I wasn't born a Hoosier. Um, no. I'm a <laughs> shocker, shocker. Um, I'm from the U.K. originally, and we moved to uh, Indiana in January 2000 uh, because of my husband's job. Um, so... For the first eight years I was here, I was what's called so nicely a trailing spouse, which meant I couldn't work, I couldn't get a social security number, I couldn't even get a Coles credit card. Oh, my. Um, and then it took another five years to become a citizen. So for 13 years, I was completely disenfranchised from uh, the election process, which was just a little bit frustrating. Mm. I bet it was. Um, yeah, it really was, because I've always been interested in politics. In fact, my... My political awakening was in 1979 when I was eight, because I'm old, and Margaret Thatcher was elected as Prime Minister of England. And uh, it was at once the best day ever and the worst day ever, because I was so excited that a woman could be Prime Minister, but not that woman. Not that <laughs> Right. <laughs> I know that feeling. So, so it was just really hard to sit on the sidelines. And um, once we got citizenship in 2013... Um, I began to get involved, and uh, I have a 22-year-old daughter who is going to be a senior in college and is gay, and last summer we had a decision to make. We either leave the state or we stay and fight, and I show my daughter that we, we stand up for what we believe in. So here I, I am. I love it. I love it. So you said it was 1978 when you began to have your political awakening. Um, what spurred your um, civic engagement? Was it was it just being anti-Margaret Thatcher, or was there something else that, that sparked your interest in being involved in politics? I know here it's different, but... I don't really know. I mean, my, I grew up with my dad constantly telling me that I should leave my corner of the world better than I found it. Um, so I heard that from an early age. And I, I don't know. I've just been a politics nerd since I was very small. I read the newspaper. I watched the news. I was probably quite boring as a child, really. Um, 
Never. Right. So it's always been there. It's always been an interest. Then when I was at Oxford, I got involved in student politics. I was involved. We have a national union of students in the UK, and I was involved in that. Um, and then I got here, and it all ground to a halt. Yeah, yeah, I got it. And so uh, when you got here, was did you find our politics strange? Yes. <laughs> because, of course, we arrived in January 2000, and there was the whole kind of... Um, yeah, the, 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 the recount. The, yeah, the recount. The hanging chad. The hanging chad. So that that was kind of a really strange kind of introduction to it. Um it's fair to say you don't get much education in the UK about American politics or history because, you know, I guess maybe because you threw us out. We don't want to acknowledge that. I don't know. But, um, yeah, it's, it's really strange. But one of the things I really appreciate is there are many more layers of representation than there are in the UK. Okay. I like that. But you guys have, like, more parties, though, right? Like, we are just a two-party system with some others sprinkled in. Don't you guys have, like, a – don't they – you're you're a citizen now, so don't they have, like, this, like, multi-party system thing going over there? It's not – we have two main parties and one kind of third party that's almost the same, and then a few kind of regional parties in Wales and Scotland. <laughs> but it's not like places uh, on mainland Europe like France and Italy where they have a bazillion parties but certainly more than here. Yeah, yeah. All right, Blythe, tell the people who you are and where you come from. Hi, I'm Blythe Potter. Um, I live in Barkersville. I've lived here for about five years. I kind of grew up here. My parents were divorced young, when I was young, so my dad moved here to Center Grove. My mom um, is still in Franklin Township, southeast side of Indianapolis, <laughs> and I'm almost the exact opposite of Sarah. I um, I could have cared less about politics the bulk of my life. I was raised in a Republican area, Republican family, um, I'm prior military, so of course, you know, that kind of goes along yeah. with the right wing, um, but I was never, I, I never considered myself extreme either way. Uh, my senior year of high school, I ran for class president um, as a third party, the Green Party, Okay. and um, I, I've always been a fan of the environment and the outdoors. Uh, we almost won, by the way, which was Interest now looking back, it's interesting as an adult to have that perspective. Okay. Um, and uh, I never, I never wanted kids. I never wanted stepkids. And now I have two stepdaughters who are both teenagers, um, seventeen and nineteen. And now I have, I also have a three-year-old, which was very unexpected. COVID baby. Uh, yeah, yeah, y'all were just, you know, making good use of the time. That's all. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Um. And it's just kind of come to this point, you know, as a female, I also own a small business with all female employees by accident, not by design, uh, with three girls and just the way that things have come crashing down for, for women. And, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate. I'm a white middle-class female, so it's not as bad, but I I see the writing on the wall. Mm -hmm. And one of the uh, women's groups I'm in down here in Johnson County, the Democratic Party chair posted that uh, there are some spots open for public office. And I kind of thought about running for town council locally. I, I literally could walk to the town hall within two minutes. Mm-hmm. And there's there are three open seats, and I just decided to go for it. Um, I'm kind of like Sarah. I I want to stay and fight. Where my husband and I are kind of on this 10-year timeline, and things don't get better. We I think we have to leave. I can't. I can't raise my daughter in this environment, um, not Republican environment specifically, but um, very aggressive and very mean and mm. um, un, uninclusive, exclusive. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't like that. Yeah. So I, 
I get I'm that. I get doing that. as much as I can on and learning as I go. I have no idea what I'm getting into for the most part. Um, but it's been a, it's been an interesting ride so far. So we'll see what happens. Well, one of the things I noticed about you instantly when when you sent I saw your picture and I I saw that you were running. I was like, oh, she different. She yeah, ain't like I'm different. She ain't like everybody else. And I I know what that's like. I know to walk in that space as a woman and they go, Oh, she's different. I mean, you're like tatted, you show your tats, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. what, what what is your personality like? I mean, I'm actually quite boring. I'm a homebody. My my yeah, idea is with this boring is, stuff. Y'all not boring. Oh, I love to be at home. Um my my work is my social life, so I you know I'm on a lot with, with employees and clients, which I love. Um, but I'm also 41, and I you know I've done a lot of the things. I've ticked off a bunch of things I've ever thought I may or may not want to do and done anyway. Um, the tattoos, most of them are very new um, and kind of a result of postpartum anxiety. Really, um, mm. I was very very afraid I was going to lose my daughter after I had her. No, she was healthy, perfectly healthy, but. Just this interesting headspace with a pandemic and a baby. So these are all like mostly for her and my family. Um, yeah, How I'm, I'm a family person, even though I'm quite literally the black sheep of my family. Hey, I'm, hey, the, the, I'm the black sheep too. So you know that's a good thing. I'm, we're gonna turn black into a positive here. Yeah. Okay. So so let me ask you this because and I, I, if you, if it's too sensitive, you you don't have to go there. But you know one of the things that we see in Indiana is that um, maternal mortality rates are extremely high. Um, they're obviously they're high. obviously disproportionately high uh, among women of color. But I want to talk to you about that because you know. We don't understand, like, if you've never been pregnant and you've never given birth, you don't understand what that is. Talk to us about what that, because you're excited about having a baby, and the baby gets here, and the baby's healthy. Talk to us about what that process is of of understanding what you're going through and how you got to the other side. Um. I, I rarely know how I get to the other side of most things. Okay. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I um I wasn't actually very excited to find out I was pregnant. Okay. We weren't planning it. I had just opened my business. I was finishing grad school. We had just moved and um my stepdaughters who they they were were my entire world. I didn't I I was not in the headspace for that and I wasn't planning for that, but um my husband was like, No, this is a blessing, we should do this and I was like, Okay, All right, we're gonna go. do this. And it's really the coolest thing I've ever done, but I will say I, I was very happy without having a baby, and I, I'm also very happy with having mm. a baby. And as females, we are creators, whether it be of life or jobs and things like that. I, I think it's in our nature to, to mother, whether mm-hmm. we're mothering the earth or our mm-hmm. friends or our family or our babies. So you may not have been pregnant and had a child, but I, I know – I know deep down your nervous system knows what it is to love like that. Um, I mean, what you're doing right now, you're, you're nurturing and trying to grow this, like this platform and this idea of inclusivity. So, um, and the, yeah, the maternal mortality rate was terrifying pre pandemic. Mm-hmm. Once January hit, I was only a month. Yeah. I was like four to six weeks pregnant. And, you know, I, I saw the writing on the wall there, too. My, my first uh, ultrasound, the day, the day before, I was told no one could come with me. Like, this is uh-huh. my one-and-done baby. My stepdaughters were going to be there. My husband was yeah. going to be there. And I was like, crap. Like, 
okay, what do I do? Yeah. So I decided I was going to do a midwife. I was going to do a home birth, right? My right. kids could be there. My husband can be there. That went down the drain. 56 hours of labor. I ended up at IU Methodist. I still had a midwife, but I mean, episiotomy and epidural, all the things I said I oh, wouldn't do. Right. I had. Luckily, she was very healthy and we got to take her home pretty soon. But um, I don't know how I came out on the other side of that. And I don't know how women do that without the support I had. I don't know how women mm. of color do it without support mm. because uh, politics, we don't generally, the, the state of right. Indiana doesn't generally care about females no. um, or, or raising healthy, financially stable children. Um, and then that, I'm, I'm very lucky. I'm lucky to be able to do what I'm doing and have a healthy family and have support. So Love it. I don't know how I came out of the other side of it. We just do. But we're women, we just do. But we just do. That is an amazing <laughs> story. Sarah, did you want to speak to that at all? Because, I mean, this is this is a space for it, right? Well, it's interesting because I'm, a, I'm an adoptive mom. Okay. Uh, and I've been a foster parent as well for four years. So while I don't have the, the biological experience, um, what Blythe said about us being creators and nurturers, I mean, really speaks to me. Um, when you have a foster child come into your home and you've never met them before and somebody drops them off at the door, mm-hmm. there's something that is kind of, a well, for my, I can only speak for me, something was kind of awoken in me. The minute I walked in that door, they were my kids, right? Right, right. Um, they were going to be loved. And, and in fact, one kid we had seven years ago and she only lived with us for six weeks and we just went to her graduation she just got her GED okay. and she's enrolled at Ivy Tech um, so you know I'm still in their lives they're still my kids right right so the experience of motherhood and nurturing is, is just so different for all of us um, and it, I, I felt very strongly when my daughter was born we got her from the hospital at two days old so she was brand new mm-hmm the difference then because you'd go to like baby classes and everybody would be talking about their labor and their Mm -hmm. experience and I had nothing to offer I mean they all said oh you look great for just having had a baby (laughs) right (laughs) um so I I I think the only universal about motherhood is is that it's different for all of us yeah I don't know what you think live yeah, yeah. And I, I, I'm wondering, though, when we think about us in politics and running for office, and you say we're creators and nurturers, it seems like we should be we should be the natural community leaders and elected officials. But as women, we still are woefully underrepresented in our government. How do we as women come together and, and, and do better about that? Like holding each other accountable, lifting each other up. How do we be better for each other and convince each other this is the best thing for us because we are, the, we are nurturers and we are creators and we are builders to run for office and seek that, that space to, to nurture communities? Lead by example. I mean, women are so we're, we tend to be bullies and like bio moms are bullies to step moms. And, you know, you, Oh, well you, you, I'm sure, sure Sarah, you've had the same situation. Like that is your child. It doesn't have to come from your body to like, like we just need to stop bullying one another and, we can we can disagree. We don't even have to agree to disagree. Right. But we can disagree and we can still support one another, uh, regardless of political party, regardless of what are, you know, working or not working. Like, 
it's just a terrible thing. You get bullied for not having kids. You get bullied for having kids too young. You get bullied for having kids too old. I was 38 when I had my daughter. You get bullied for just being a stepmom or adopting or whatever. Like, it is just insane how we've all been put into these little boxes. Mm -hmm. And we need to, like, we need to break down those walls of boxes, whether it is, whether it means by standing our ground being a stay-at-home parent, whether it means standing our ground being a childless woman by choice or not. Right. Um, we just need to suck it up, get over the nonsense we've been told about in Cosmo magazine and politics and on television and all this garbage and just put it behind us and start new. Um, this imaginary reset button can be in front of all of us. We can all push it and we can just start over and just start working together because it's not looking good for women. No. I don't care what side of the aisle you want. I'm, I wouldn't vote for Suzanne Crouch, but – I mean, even her, she's putting herself out there. Um, yeah, um, she is. She is. You know, we're, you know, Sarah. I'm, before I comment, I'm gonna let Sarah go ahead and, and just how we how do we be better? I think Bly's absolutely right. It's by more of us standing up and not trying to beat the men at their own game, but being authentically who we are, just being honest and treating people well, learning to disagree agreeably mm-hmm. rather than getting mean and nasty about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think if we can persuade women to step up and do that, yeah, you know, it starts to build. Uh, it's like running for city council, right? If we ever want to take the legislature back or the congressional seats back, we need to start at the council level and build up. It's exactly the women just need to start at the bottom and just show that we are strong, compassionate caring leaders who can at the same time make the tough decisions and stand up for what may be unpopular and be courageous. I love it. I love it. Something else that you both mentioned, uh, and it was, you know, the state of uh, the state of our state, right? And whether do you do you stay and fight or do you leave? One of the things I've always been frustrated with is like people are always telling me, Dana, with all the degrees you have, you can go on the coast and, and make you know, gobs of money, right? But my philosophy has always been, if all the smart people leave, then what happens to those who can't fight for themselves? I know that you guys, I know, Sarah, you mentioned fighting, staying and fighting, but what does fighting look like? Sarah? Well, I think think it looks like raising your head above the parapet like Blythe and I have done and saying we're going to run for office. We're going to put ourselves unapologetically out there and show what we believe in. Um fighting for a place at the table. Yep. If we have a place at the table, we can make change. But if women aren't prepared to, to stand up and, and ask, well, not ask, demand the seat at the table, it's never going to happen. Honey, because I don't need permission to serve my community. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Blythe, what, does it look, what does fighting look like to you? Just like Sarah said, um, using our voices for good and, and it is so hard to do, mm-hmm. I think, especially as women, um, because we're we're supposed to be not like who's your hospitality? Oh, it's the worst thing on the planet for women. Like you can be nice, but also stand your ground. Right. Um, right. Uh, it's sharing unpopular opinions, even if if it's for the better good. Um, running for office, regardless of what your history looks like, like. I've, I've been divorced. I, you know, there are plenty of things that I like that have held me back in the past from doing things because I don't want it to be out there because I don't want to be shamed. And mm-hmm. I think we just have to suck it up and do it sometimes. And I hate to say that because no woman should ever have to, no, no human no should human. have to do that right, regardless right. of gender. We should never have to just suck it up. Um, 
but sometimes you just have to pretend to be <laughs> pretend to be brave and and go for it yeah, uh, and risk it you're right because you know if 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 I don't do it then who Right. And exactly. and that is like the, the, the thing that I say, well, if I don't, I, I, half the time, I don't know what I'm doing. I just, you know, like li- literally blind when you said, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Like literally I built a studio, but I don't really know what I'm doing. Something like, no, but you're making it work. You know, <laughs> hey, I, you, you do the best you can with what you have. And you just try to, like you said, make your corner of the world better when you leave it than, than when, the way you found it. Y'all, this is so far so good. I, Indiana's own Dana Black turn left. I am talking to Sarah Draper, who is running for city council in Carmel, and I'm talking to Blythe Potter, who is running for a town council in Bargersville. Where is Bargersville? <laughs> you know, it's interesting you say that, because I would have said the same thing. Uh, even though my dad lived here growing up, like, my business partner said when, when I decided I needed to go out on my own, I was like, hey, let's do this together, and she's like, I'm not leaving Bargersville, and my first words was, well, there, were, there was an explicit, but I was like, are you kidding me? Like, why? Well, it's one of the fastest growing cities in the state, top three. Oh. Uh, Center Grove is the public school, one of the public school options here, which um, is very, very good academically. They've got a great swim team, football team, show choir. Um, so it's really up and coming. It's, it's basically farmland that's being turned into um, a lot of residential and hopefully some good commercial stuff to help with the tax stuff. But we're south of Greenwood. Um, next to Franklin, we, we have access to just about everything now that 69 is down here. So mm-hmm. I'm in a unique spot, um, both with a business and in the politics, because we're really on the ground floor of things. So I'm cautiously optimistic that I have the opportunity to make some really good changes. Yeah, that's in Johnson County, right? Yeah, okay. See, you got a Hamilton County, a Marion County, and a Johnson <laughs> County. Right yeah. in a row. We right there. North, yeah. middle, and south. All mm-hmm. right. We're the middle of the donut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love my donut counties. I love my donut counties. All right, guys, let's talk about what's going on in your towns that, that made you um, say, I'm going to run for city council. I'm going to run for town council. Sarah, what's going on in Carmel? Well, one of the things that not many people know is that in the November midterms last year, 49.5% of the votes in Carmel were cast for Democrats. Ooh. So Carmel is no longer red. It is undeniably purple and very, very competitive. Yes. Um, and we currently have a supermajority. And we all learned last year that supermajorities are no good. Right. So we only have one Democrat on the council right now, Miles Nelson, who's running for mayor. Um and I don't believe in supermajorities. I don't believe that's democracy. Um, in 2019, there were four Democrats on the ballot as district candidates in Carmel. This year, we have eight candidates, one mayoral, two at large, and five districts. Oh, I love it. Um, and I decided to step up because, um, well, there's three main reasons. One is I, I know I've got the advocacy skills and I care and I am not afraid to make unpopular decisions. Um, I'm a guardian ad litem and in court advocating for abused and neglected children, I'm often unpopular with most of the people in the room. So I'm used to that. Um, The second is that our council is not very diverse. Hmm. uh, And we certainly need more female voices on the council. Um, And going along with that, Carmel is now 13% foreign born. Oh, um, and we have nine councillors. So if we're going to have a reflective council, it's time somebody who was born elsewhere got a chance to serve and represent those 13% of the city. 
Um, and when I knock on the doors of immigrants, they are unbelievably excited to, uh, number one, have a Democrat on their ballot, likely for the first time ever. But number two, <laughs> that I, I'm an immigrant and I can understand their experience and raise their voices. I love that. Those, those are really unique. See, those are unique things I didn't even know about. I mean, now, mind you, I went to North Central High School, so you know about the rivalry. And so, you know, <laughs> you know, whenever the cat sees the greyhound, you know, we, you know, we, we, ain't, we ain't too happy. But no, I'm, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Those little, you know, that's what we do in Indiana. We talk about our high schools. Um, but right. I didn't know that it was a 13 percent um, um, immigrant population, which begs. You know, if you're, we know that Carmel and Hamilton County are growing leaps and bounds, and, and and we have people like our Attorney General trying to do everything they can to stifle immigration. Um, what are we saying to your community? What are you hearing when you're knocking on specifically immigrant doors? A lot of them feel excluded. Mm. They feel like democracy isn't for them here they've come here they've got citizenship but they don't they don't understand it they don't feel that necessarily they're welcome um and then they see me at their door right and i i, I feel like i don't know if it sounds arrogant but like going back to the beginning of the 20th century when you had irish people and italian people immigrating here and then you know starting to make the way into elected positions and being the trailblazers um, I feel a bit like that. You know, okay. I almost feel it's, it was a responsibility for me to step up and show that we can do this and that it is for you and that the American dream is still possible. I love it. What's going on in Bargersville? What's, what's, what's happening down there? So much. Um, we're, we're really a blank slate. There's a, there's a lot of infrastructure. It needs to be better. We need more. Um, we've got a lot of potential commercial businesses coming in. We have a ton of residential coming in, homes, duplexes. Um, there's an apartment that everyone's up in arms about on the on the bat, or on the slate. Um, and I'm pretty sure, in addition to some of these new commercial buildings that are coming in, they're going to need to have a new water treatment plan, mm -hmm. and they'll likely try to annex some other areas. Mm -hmm. um, it's very, it's just a very unique situation. Um, I am not an immigrant, but I think a, something we for, we forget a lot, we white people, is that none of us are literally from here. Hello. Um, we are transplants. I am Irish and German, and we are totally forgetting that. Like, our lineage is not native to America. Um, so this, like, no come in, don't come in thing is just, it's garbage to me. Um, and it's unfair and it's not nice. And we, we have a growing immigrant population in Bartersville. It's very small, but I, I do think it's going to get larger. We have Cummins in Columbus. So a lot of people are living here, mm -hmm, but commuting mm -hmm. there. Um, you know, and I, I think I have the ability to be objective and step back and say, hey, we need these people, but let's do this sustainably. Like, okay, fine, let's build an apartment complex, but can we not put a bunch of grass out front and a bunch of blacktop? Can we do some maybe native perennials or renewable energy? We have 500 to over a million dollar homes being built regularly down here with a bunch of grass, no solar, no renewable energy. And it's just, it's kind of mind blowing that as progressive as it seems to be down here, that we're really we're progressive, but it's still very 
right. I'm actually surprised to hear you say anything. Anything in in, in Johnson County is progressive. I, I, I'm actually I'm actually surprised to hear you say that. There is a very very large amount of us that are Democrats in Johnson County, and um, saying Democrat out loud was freaking terrifying for the longest time. But knocking on doors, we exist. Um, a lot of the older population are very liberal. Uh, my husband and I were the first home in Bargersville to have solar power. So we actually helped initiate that ability down here, which is unique because I know solar isn't the answer. I'm not I'm not saying it's the end all be all, but it is an option and it is possible and it is more accessible. I don't um, understand yes. why it's not the end all be all. I remember having a freaking <laughs> Texas instrument uh calculator back in the seventies <laughs> yes. that ran off of solar power and if I go get it and right now it still works. <laughs> it still works. I mean, yeah, you're right. It's scalable. See, people, it is. you're not going to tell me that it's not. Like, literally, yeah. Casio, you got a Casio calculator. It was a yeah. solar calculator, and, and it works. It still works 30, 40 years later. So I'm I'm not yeah. saying it's not. You're Only right. way that it couldn't you're be right. is if we do something to block out the sun, because these fools is really yeah. trying. They, they are, and, you know, I think resourcing the things that we need for solar could be better. I don't yeah. have the answers to that. Um, but I think just have, I, I, I do identify as a blue dog Democrat. I'm, I do see both sides. There's mm-hmm. a reason that purple is my campaign color because I think we can logically have our gun rights without being crazy with assault rifles. Like I think we can find a middle ground with abortion allow it to be legal, but, you know, maybe not just willy-nilly at eight months pregnant for no reason, like, which I don't even think happens. It doesn't. That's just some dumb stuff they make up. That's just Uh, to to put it out there for people who don't know any better because we don't educate them. Yeah. Think about it. Sorry. No, you're good. You're good. Uh, But yeah, there is a, there is a growing population of, of middle of the aisle and um, left leaning people in Johnson County. I'm not alone and I'm being, even if I don't win, the support I've had just in the last few months has been amazing. I've only had one person scream and yell at me to get off their lawn for being a Democrat. (laughs) That's pretty good. Uh, it's pretty darn good because I've knocked on over a thousand doors so far. Hey, so it's pretty good. I mean, when you consider, <laughs> yeah. I had the police called on me back in 2016 when I was up uh, in McCordsville. Yeah. Hard. Oh, oh, y'all, come uh, on. Yeah, it I, probably wouldn't have happened if you were white, though. It probably not. No. But you know what? I knew it could happen. So when the police showed up, yeah. I was like, "Yo, where do you live? You want to vote for me?" <laughs> You know, you, I, turn, you turn it into a campaign pitch. I mean, humans are going to human. There's nothing you can do about it. You, as long as you are prepared for the obstacles, you can figure out how to navigate them, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so when you when you think about what's happening on your town council and your city council, um, you guys are the, the fiduciary people. You guys take care of the budgets. You guys make sure that there's money allocated for the different things that the town or the city needs. Um, Sarah, what are what are some of the things that you hope to see come across um, in those council meetings um, that need to be funded properly? I think one of the things we need to do in Carmel is differentiate between investment and spending. Oh, a roundabout is infrastructure investment. Roundabout are not so much, uh, and I think we've been getting the balance wrong. Okay. Um, firstly. Um, we need to 
prioritise climate change mitigation at the heart of everything and make sure that we're including the cost of that in our budgets. Um, because nobody can thrive in an unhealthy environment. Right. So that's very, very important. Um, public safety needs to be funded adequately. Um, Carmel is one of the, it is the safest city in Indiana and one of the safest cities in the country, but we need to keep it that way. And in fact, I am the first Democrat ever to be endorsed by the FOP in Carmel. Okay. So that was an exciting thing. A couple yes, of weeks ago. that's huge. Right, I thought the email was a joke to start with. Oh. I was confidently expecting to get one saying they made a mistake, they counted wrong or something. But no, it was real. So, uh, so I'm, I'm very proud to have that. Um, so public safety is important. Um, and although we don't fund education, it's very important that we support education in any way we can. Yeah, I love it. I love it. What's, what about you down in uh, Barkersville? Um, mostly the same things. Our cops cannot afford to live in Barkersville. That's wow. how little they're paid. And it drives me crazy because we do have a safe community. We have an amazing police force, um, although um, – Democrats are still very uncommon in town council, so I would never get an endorsement from the police right now <laughs> because it, they might fear reta retaliation, and I've actually been told that. Um, so we need better funding for the police. I think we don't we don't do school budget because we're not the school board, and we um, I don't know if you know anything about Southsiders, but Southsiders like to hide and hoard money. I, everyone's got money hidden somewhere in their house, and at the town council and even Johnson County are no different. There's plenty of money in case of an emergency. Um, it's really just putting those funds to good use, making things more accessible. We have great parks, but most people can't walk to them without going on a busy interstate, and that's stupid. Yeah, <laughs> We've I, got I a lot of sidewalks downtown. Most of them are covered with dirt and grass because they've been so poorly maintained. Um, and we do, unfortunately, even with the cost of living going up before that, we have a lot of people in poverty down here. We have a lot of people who can't afford to have cars. And so if you can make it accessible for them to walk or ride a bike, um, whether it be someone my age or children or the elderly population, we have a, a very large amount of people in Bargersville who have, were born and raised here that they may not be able to drive now, but they also can't safely walk to the town hall because there's not a sidewalk to get there because it's all crumbled and just, I mean, it's just, yeah. Yeah. just misappropriate, not miss, like appropriately putting funds to good use that will long-term benefit everybody. I think people post COVID are more active physically outside. Mm -hmm. I think parents are being more active with their children. Um, and I am, I am like a lot of those people. I am a transplant. I, I have a young child. I want to be able to access these things. So we have a multi-million dollar park that we just put in, which is fantastic, but most people can't safely get there on foot or bike. That doesn't, that doesn't even make any sense. Um, so It doesn't. And it's, you know, they have a lot of great ideas. Our 2040 plan is fantastic, but there are little bits and pieces that have been neglected because the people who are using those, their voices haven't had that input to yeah. say, here, this is where the money should go. Let's let's add a trailer or a sidewalk. Let's connect these two sidewalks. So that's that's really, from my perspective, the biggest thing. Um, and there is a man who, his name is Bill Collins. He ran for school board recently. And uh, he's, he's Republican. He's very conservative. But he's actually been very supportive of me because he also sees there's a need for social services. Okay. We have a... We have a lot of people in poverty down here. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
and they need support and they need access to things. So well, there, there is a need. And see, that's why that's why I find you know um, our lieutenant governor's plan to eliminate income tax so problematic because there are things that the government needs to take care of that will never be profitable. And yeah. taking care of your fellow man or taking care of someone who can't adequately take care of themselves is one of those things. And it's one of yeah. those things where we make we, we we create a better society when we are, you know, supporting each other and lifting each other up. And the idea that, you know, people act like they just did everything on their own. I did it all yeah. by myself. No, you didn't. Nobody accomplishes anything by themselves except for being lonely. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, you know, Suzanne isn't including in that a cut for her pay to help fund some of the things that need funded. No. These politicians who make these loot rules, they're sitting pretty. They can afford private schools. Um, if I did it right, I could afford a private school. I don't want to. But I also don't want to send my kid to a school that has to do um, active shooter drills regularly. That scares the crap out of me. So, I, yeah. That, yeah. that part. I mean, Public education is so underfunded of, across the country, but definitely in the state of Indiana. Um, so income taxes, that's just stupid. So speaking, <laughs> we can't get rid of that. So speaking, okay, so Sarah, you have been endorsed by the FOP. And, you know, our state just passed, you know, the no permit carry. And, you know, people just can willy-nilly go get what they want, carry where they want, without background checks, without the, the nine. What are your What are your law enforcement friends telling you up there in Carmel? Because they can do it in Carmel. Because, listen, I know a lot of people be thinking, like, oh, Indianapolis is so bad. Oh, my God. Well, that's because you can just go get a free gun anywhere. Or you can get, you know, pay $500, you can get a gun. And guess what? Trime does travel. 96th Street does not have a wall. However hard some people may want one. Yeah, well, no, they don't. No, they don't because they want people to come up here and cook and clean for them because I can tell you, they didn't already add, I was at a Fisher's meeting a few years back, and the mayor talked about how the community wanted more diversity in food and different types of ethnic foods, but you don't want people to live there. So you just want people to come up here and cook and clean for you. That's some old, I'm not going to say it. That's some old mess. But White privilege. I, I wasn't going to say it. I wasn't going to say it. I'll say it. <laughs> I, I, I benefit from it. I understand that. I, have I always known that? No, but I understand that. Yeah. So what are your guys saying? I mean, we want active shooter drills are a thing. We had tornado drills. They have active, shoot, active shooter drills. What are your, your police officer friends saying about the, the, the willy-nilly with the guns? Well, they're saying that. The reality is that anybody who wanted a gun could always get one anyway. Okay. The issue is just you don't know who has one. Ah. Uh, you know, that, uh, the ones I've talked to just say you know, it doesn't make anybody more likely to get a gun who shouldn't have one. You just don't know who they are. That makes it... Is it's terrifying. It's terrifying because, I mean, especially for someone like me, I fit the description. You know, I could be... I could have a cell phone and they, they already trigger, you know... Again, the black skin is is the scariest thing on earth, and you really can't tell if I'm a female or a male because of the way I the way I present. I fit the description, and I think about that all the time. Like now, they I've never owned a gun, never wanted to own a gun, but because they don't know that, I am the likelihood of me now if I get pulled over for speeding, which I am prone to do. <laughs> if I get speed, pulled over, there's no telling 
what can happen to me because they know, they do not know whether or not I am armed. And that just and it's and it's crazy that we are not protecting our kids. But I'll be honest, I knew at the Sandy Hook they weren't gonna do nothing. Like guns would they, if you little white kids in suburbia got shot up. And they didn't do anything. I was like, ah, oh, we done. We done having this conversation about gun rights and gun control and, and sensible gun legislation. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. All it's right. interesting to me, to me, sorry, because um, when I, in, in 1996 in the UK, obviously people in the UK don't have guns largely. And in 1996, we had a school shooting in Scotland. And immediately the, go- the government acted to restrict access to guns such as it was, and it wasn't like it is here and guess what there's not been another school shooting wow wow it can be done they I did mean, the same thing in australia school. they did the same thing in australia they had one school shooting and i said we have a school shootings and mass shootings every day and and now we've no, it's it's no big deal now like there's so many shootings it is no big deal and it is in every community i know like i know like people who want to pretend like well chicago this chicago that but where did they get the guns from indiana Right? Like, it's everywhere. No community is safe anymore. And I know they want to make it seem like we're the greatest populations are. Of course, you're going to have more crime in places where there are more people. Get out of here. Think this through. Indiana's own Dana Black. I am talking to Sarah Draper, who is running for Carmel City Council at large, and uh, Blythe Parter, who is running, running for Bargersburg, Bargersville Town Council at large, right? At large? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, I think we're coming up on the close to the end of the show here, but I wanted to make sure that um, you guys give your pitch. Blood, give your pitch on why you are the best candidate to, to be on your town council. Um, I, I, I have a different point of view. I represent people who are not already represented on the town council. I have an MBA in conscious capitalism, so I'm all for making money. Um, but I think we can do it in a better way in a more sustainable way. And same with our growth. A lot of people want to complain about decisions that have been made the last four years and prior to that. Um, and if you're complaining about it and still voting the same people in, then that's part of the problem. So I do have a different perspective. Um, and all of that is on my, my website, lifepotter.com. My platform's on there. I love it. And tell the people, you said where people can find you. And then do you have any events coming up? Any fundraisers? I do. Okay. Uh, this is perfect timing because just yesterday I decided I'm going to do a meet and greet on Saturday, September 16th at the Coffee House 5 in Bartersville during the Harvest Moon Festival from 12 to 2. I love it. I love it. All right, Sarah, give us your pitch now. Well, something I have in common with Blythe is that there's nobody quite like me on the city council right now. <laughs> um, I also represent a, a, a segment of the population that has not yet been represented. Um, I am totally unafraid to be unpopular. Mm. Um, I will not be outworked. I have already knocked on over 9,000 doors across Carmel. Um, and I intend to win so that I can use my advocacy skills that I've learned over the last 12 years in the court system to represent the people of Carmel as they should be represented with with transparency, with accessibility, with integrity, and with intelligence, and even sometimes a little bit of humor. I love it. I love (laughs) it. And tell the people where they can find you. Uh, My website is is draperforallcarmel.com, and um, it's Draper for All Carmel on all the socials. I love it. And And do you have any events coming up? 
Um, I am going to be having a an all you can eat spaghetti dinner on September the twenty first from 5.30 to 7.30 at the government building at 106 and College in Carmel. And it's going to be 15 bucks for all you can eat. All right. All right. Now, I got to tell you a quick story. The first time I met Sarah, um, as soon as as soon as she started talking, I was like, oh, we got us a good one. Because there's a lot of people you meet and they don't have, they don't just come with confidence. And she's not like the tallest of females. <laughs> She's no. not. She's not. Like, but she, her personality is tall. So I want to say you were about five four, five three, something like that. Well, five one and a half, then. Oh, five one and a half. I, okay. I probably have heels on. But your, but your personality is six one and a half. And 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 I I I have never forgotten you, even though it was the one time and and I was like, yo, I'm recruiting this woman. She's she's running for office. I'm gonna let her. I mean, I'm gonna keep pouring into her that this is the right thing to do. And here you are. Um, I I'm so proud of you, and I'm excited about what you're about to do, Blythe. I hope that you and I can break bread sometime soon because like, yes! I, I want to hear more of your stories. I mean, you got like that. You know, just that wild child, and 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 I, like I feel like it's in you, and I feel like you know you, you it is you, you, you know, and we need that. I mean, that's the thing. Yep. Like people have this idea that politicians are this thing, and it's politicians are humans. Yep. <laughs> they come in all shapes, sizes, colors, and textures, and and if we are not open to receive just anyone and everyone, that we are not doing what we're supposed to be doing. And I am so proud of you, ladies. Now, I am going to suggest y'all both do one other thing if you have not applied for who's room and forward once the campaign is over the um the window for open uh open up for applications is usually in may so may of 2024 i want both of you both of you to commit i'm commit to it and sign up for Who's Room and Forward so that we can continue to build this network of amazing women's and women, and we can and also pour some different skills into you just to add to the repertoire of things that you have already to offer. I am really excited about you two, um, and I'm and thank you for suffering through all of my stuff today. Eventually, my voice came back. You know how I go. Um, but you are human. You're showing it. You're human. I'm human. It's normal. It is. It is. And and that's actually, you know, I, I remember when I first started the show, like, I was straight up panic and flip out when things weren't going well. And, and I, because I wanted everything to be, you know, TV perfect. Girl, you in your condo. <laughs> You know, just just remember what you're doing this for, you know. So thank you for your patience and, and all of that. All right, don't hang up yet. Um, guys, listen, um, you know, Sarah talked about how she is a foster parent and she's an adoptive parent. But unfortunately, you know, the homelessness amongst our Indiana youth is very, very, very high. And amongst our LGBTQ plus youth is extraordinary, exceedingly over, overly represented. Um, kids are being tossed out of their homes because they identify as gay or trans or lesbian um, or and, and couple that with other issues, no telling what they've been going through. I sit on the board of Trinity Haven. Trinity Haven is our state's only LGBTQ plus residence for um, youth who are at risk of homelessness and being unsheltered. We have a house where we can house 
nine young people for two years to help them gain the skills that they need to be independent and have independent living. And we have a second program where we have um, members of our community, our host homes program, where they have a bedroom and they open up a bedroom to a young person for six months or however long they need after they've they've been vetted and gone through training. But all of these things take money. Right. None of this happens because, you know, the Trinity Church prays it to happen. We need people to donate. So on September 9th, from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. at the Crane Bay Event Center, we are having our third annual Trinity Haven Homecoming Bash. This year, the theme is Broadway. Come on now, you get a bunch of rainbow warriors together talking about Broadway. You know it's going to be a good time. Right. I have a I have a question, Dave. Yes. When Trinity Haven opened, I looked into the host home program, and it was only in Marion County at the time. Yes. Is that still the case? At present, it is, but we are working on some things to um, change some of our funding source so that we can expand that program because we recognize we need to get Indianapolis. You know, it's where we started, but we want to expand to different parts of the state because we also know that some kids are like. 17 years old and they don't want to leave high school where they go to high school but they're also having problems at home um and they want to stay in their community so we want to broaden it out um but again if you buy these tickets it it gets it helps us get one step closer to that goal of serving all 92 counties right that's the goal because there are gay kids everywhere there are trans kids everywhere and because we have you know uh, a republican party that has done everything they can to demonize people who are lgbtq plus parents are afraid and they don't know what to do and instead of seeking real truth and understanding they kick their kids out um, demonize their kids or traumatize their kids which is even worse I wish everyone had had parents like mine when I came granted I was an adult when I came out I was 20 years old but my mother looked at me and she says ah I may not understand it I, I don't even know if I like it but you're my baby and I love you And that's what we really want our parents to do. We just want somebody to love us, to help us, because we don't know. We're just trying to sort it all out. But that's kind of like a second rant. I didn't mean to do that. But September 9th, it's coming up soon, guys. Um, If you're interested in being a sponsor for the Trinity Haven, let me know. Um, I have some different package information, but we need all the help we can get to make sure that these young folks have an opportunity to live their best lives. All right. Sarah, Bly, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thank you. Uh, I got a full slate. I am booked all the way up until the last Thursday before the election. So, guys, tune in every week to hear about these candidates. Find out how you can support them. Their donate links will be on the YouTube page so that you can donate to both Sarah and Bly. Make sure that you donate to them. If you like what they're talking about, support them. In the meantime, I'll holler at y'all next week. Peace. Turn Left is the property of Black Girl IT Solutions. Executive producer, Indiana's own Dana Black. Music by www.binsound.com.